Hello for Lava, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Elisha Foon. Coming up, a climate advocate vows to hold New Zealand's new government to account in protecting the Pacific Ocean. Also, food security in Tikopia Island in the Solomon Islands is a major concern a month on from Cyclone Lola. And later... You have all this roundness on, on film, and that, that's the most amazing thing. Pacifica stars shine in Taika Waititi's latest film. As the New Zealand government finalises its policies within its new coalition, issues around ocean protection and climate change are front of mind for many Pacific climate advocates. New Zealand has been in support of a new global target to protect 30% of our ocean by 2030. However, under a national lead government, New Zealand plans to lift the ban on oil and gas exploration, something that has many organisations championing the environment horrified. I spoke with Dr Kayla kingdom Bebb, Chief Executive of Worldwide Nature Fund, known as WWF New Zealand, about how she plans to hold the new government to account. New Zealand has one of, we have the fifth largest ocean territory on the planet. It's 14 times larger than our landmass. And historically, New Zealand did used to be a global leader in ocean conservation in the 1970s when we created the Marine Reserves Act. But globally speaking, we are joint last place in terms of the actual protection of our ocean environment. So we we currently protect less than 1% of our ocean territory, and that's about the same amount as China and Russia. Not the greatest bedfellows, especially when you consider that most New Zealanders live within four kilometres of the coast. It's worth about $7.4 billion to our marine economy, and every second breath we take is oxygen that's supplied by the ocean. With the incoming government, what would you like to see from them? Well, at WWF, we were really heartened to see uh, the National Environmental Manifesto, which I think is called the Blueprint for a Healthy Environment. There's a suite of commitments in there around ocean conservation, which are really encouraging, actually. Nationals committed to, within this next term, progressing marine protected areas reform, which is the legal framework by which we can create new marine protected areas, which we desperately need to do because the Marine Reserves Act is now wildly out of date. They've also committed to progressing the new marine reserves in the Hauraki Gulf through the sea change process, um, those down in southeast Otago, and also revisiting the Kermadec Rangitahua Ocean Sanctuary, all of which are critical interventions we need to stop the decline of our ocean health in New Zealand. In terms of the ocean dynamic in the Pacific, we know that a healthy Pacific, Timuana Nuiakiwa, is so important to the well-being of all Pacific states, New Zealand included. And with respect to the implementation of the 30 by 30 commitment, this is the the commitment that's spun out of the global biodiversity framework and the UN High Seas Treaty to protect 30% of our oceans by 2030. It is really important to human health. We're not just talking about biodiversity in the deep reaches of the ocean. We know that what happens on the high seas actually affects the health of the marine and coastal ecosystems closer to home. And species like whales and tuna and sharks and turtles do not pay any heed to the lines drawn on maps by humans. So I would, my focus in the next year is going to be pushing the New Zealand government really, really hard to do what they need to do to live up to that commitment. For people listening to this and for our Pacific audience, some of the big kind of topics and issues like fossil fuels and seabed mining, what would you suggest people do in terms of education? Well, there's a lot of good information out there, and there's heaps of it on the WWF website if you're interested. I think 
there's a lot of misconceptions out that is that are often peddled by industry, unfortunately. So particularly in New Zealand, for example, there are strong lobbies suggesting that marine protected areas are not good for commercial and recreational fisheries. And factually, that is incorrect. For the last two decades, we've had really strong research globally that strongly suggests that highly protected offshore marine protected areas are great for food security, i.e. they are good for commercial fisheries because they allow those fishery stocks that have been overfished a chance to recover. And they're also really important to enable us to adapt to our changing climate. We know that the best antidote to climate change, both in terms of mitigation and adaptation, is healthy wild places. So the notion that's being peddled that MPAs offshore are bad for fisheries is just categorically untrue. And there's lots of peer-reviewed research out there to suggest that that, you know, is not the case. Um, in terms of the plastics, there's a great civil society movement, including throughout the Pacific, that highlight, um, you know, the myriad drawbacks of plastic pollution, both in terms of human health and also in terms of what it's doing to our marine ecosystems and species. I think, you know, when you're looking at a small developing island state, economic development is really important across the board, you know. Um, the go some of the goals in terms of the Pacific Islands Forum leaders is, is collective development and raising up people's incomes and giving them choices and opportunities in their lives. And economic development is a really crucial part of that. So I can understand the impulse um, and, and the instinct to, to want to explore those resources. We would say, and the evidence suggests that, you know, deep sea mining is not without quite a lot of risk. And quite frankly, because the deep reaches of the ocean are so remote, we just don't know kind of what the impacts on biodiversity will be down there. Although we do know that it's incredibly damaging to, you know, the, the benthic environment that takes millennia to recover. We would say, you know, a precautionary approach is warranted and we strongly support the moratorium that's being advocated by a huge number of Pacific Island states, New Zealand included. What would lifting the ban on offshore oil and gas exploration mean for New Zealand and the Pacific? I think it would be a travesty, actually. Our former Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, um, did a lot of advocacy at a recent APEC meeting around removing subsidies on fossil fuels and internationally, New Zealand's, you know, can rightly be proud of the fact that we've banned offshore oil and gas. We're going to COP28, the next climate conference in December this year, where we're doing a global stock take, where the global community is going to be taking stock about how we're going in terms of reaching our Paris commitments. And across the board, all of the scientific reports that have been issued say that the window of opportunity for us to, to meet the commitment to halt warming to 1.5 degrees is slipping out of our hands. And we know absolutely that keeping to 1.5 degrees of warming cannot and does not provide for more fossil fuel exploration. Full stop. It just doesn't. Realistically, it's... I just think it's a shame and it's actually a bit ridiculous that New Zealand would be considering reversing that ban at this juncture in time. Going forward, how does the Pacific, where do they stand on the world stage when it comes to COP28? I certainly hope so. I mean, my, my own lived experience has been that the voice of the Pacific, when it's, a, you know, as a collective of small island states and in concert with Australia and Aotearoa when we're able to Tautoko, is actually very strong. And... The Pacific is at the forefront, you know, we're at the front line of climate change and we're at the front line of plastic pollution and we're at the front line of biodiversity loss as well. 
And when these countries come together and speak with one collective voice, it's actually incredibly powerful. And we've seen that, you know, in, the, in, in a host of different negotiations around Ramsar, which is a wetlands convention, and the trade in the Convention on the Trade of Endangered Species, and the Global Biodiversity Framework. When the Pacific comes together to advocate for outcomes it believes in, it's actually a powerful voice, and we're hoping to see that at the upcoming plastics negotiations this week. But also in terms of climate change, we know the Pacific voice is really important. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing good progress on loss and damage, particularly at COP28. Food security is a major concern in Tikopia Island in the far east of the Solomon Islands after severe tropical cyclone Lola destroyed all the island's crops almost a month ago. Fresh reserves and aid has arrived by boat, but Kinsley Manu, who is from the island, fears it won't last long. Caleb Fotheringham spoke to him about the situation. And people are asking uh, around now that they only got uh, one or two meals a day, and they said that they were lucky that the petrol boat are arriving on time. Wow, that's pretty full on. Did the petrol boat bring food? Yeah, there's uh, around uh, 300, only 300 bags of uh, rice and a few relatives in Honiara, they sent a little bit of uh, rice and sugar and, uh, and that, yeah. Will that keep them going for a bit? No, I don't think so. I think uh, I think it's by mid of maybe second, first week or second of next month, uh, they need a supply straight away, yeah. Have they been told more boats will come with more food? Uh, currently, I'm working with the NDMO. I got an update yesterday from the NDMO, and they said that uh, the Australian Navy is available now. And, uh, I think expected to leave. Uh, loading should be on the 24th this month. Were people warned of the cyclone before it came? From an interview with Scott, what they said, they, they were updated that uh, the cyclone is out in the Duff Islands outside the uh, that's in Timotu. But uh, on the 22, the cyclone hit. The, they, they didn't prepare because there is no message that uh, the cyclone is going that way. Obviously, food stocks are running very low. What's the situation with people's homes? There's a lot of uh, damage. People, because they didn't prepare food. So the cyclone was arriving there on the 22 last month. And um, around 7 p.m. or something like that, that's uh, when the cyclone hit, but it's already dark. Uh, people uh, didn't prepare for that, yeah. What's the mood on the island right now? People are struggling from uh, still uh, trying to get up with the what happened, and uh, I think they really need their help out from the outside there. France's new ambassador to the Pacific says her focus will be on peace and freedom for the region. Veronique Roger-Lacan has spent just under a month in the position and met with various leaders and delegates at the Pacific Islands Forum. Lydia Lewis spoke with her about what she hopes to achieve. I don't hope to achieve anything. I hope to spend three or four years in interacting with everyone in the region, including our French territories, so as to... uh, contribute to keeping this uh, this area, this blue continent, as an area of uh, peace, freedom and security. How did you find your first Pacific Islands Forum? Who did you meet with? We met with, uh, I think, most uh, government leaders of uh, the, the, the peace. 
And also we met with the partners for dialogue, partners for development. I met with my um, counterparts, uh, ambassadors or special envoys for the Pacific from Singapore, from EU, from the US, uh, from everywhere, Japan. (laughs) Does France see itself as more than a dialogue partner? Are there talks to try and escalate to being a member? Uh, No, they are not actually. But we see ourselves as maybe not a member of the forum, but as a member, as a Pacific state because of our three uh, territories. And on the sidelines of the Pacific Islands Forum, France strengthened its climate actions. Can you tell me what exactly has been announced and what will be strengthened? So we announced uh, first within the Pacific Partner Action and Commitment Engagement this uh, high-level uh, proposal that the PIF leaders adopted. We have announced that we will uh, dedicate financial resources to help carry the voices of the Pacific leaders on the matters of climate change and biodiversity through the Climate Champions Programme of the PIF. And we will uh, organize a specific uh, conference uh, for uh, PIF members ahead of the UNOC3, you know, this uh, United Nations uh, Oceans Conference that we are um, organizing in Nice in 2025. And we really want to have, uh, in addition to the five priorities, which are specific UN priorities, uh, we have also our own priorities and uh, focusing on the Pacific is one of our priorities. It's very important. And of course, we will not think for the Pacific leaders. We hope that the Pacific leaders can take this opportunity on board to have this uh, UN conference uh, ahead and, 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 and use this opportunity to enhance their own commitment to the UN targets, which are first the BBNG, the Global Biodiversity Framework, and we hope that by then everybody will have, I mean, we will have um, gained 60 ratifications so that the, the treaty can enter into force. Then we want to have a legally binding instrument to end plastic pollution, and I understand that it's uh, an issue in the Pacific. Then we also want to to strengthen the fight against uh, illegal fishing, decarbonize maritime transport, and raise awareness on the risks risk about around deep sea mining. So those are the five UN priorities. And in addition to the, those five UN priorities, we have three um, our three own uh, um, priorities, among which focusing on, on the Pacific Blue Continent priorities. Is France against deep sea mining and why? Yeah, France is entering into a perspective of total ban on deep sea mining. So it will be actually its position, it's the position of President Macron and Minister Berville. And uh, for us, the reason why we have this position is because we have started some uh, deep sea mining in the 80s and we stopped because we realized, you know, through our Institute for Oceanic Research, it's called IFREMER, uh, we did some research and now we, the first findings are uh, being published and it's clear and proved and evidence that uh, that the, the environment that was 
destroyed with this uh, deep sea mining at the time has not been uh, reconstituted. I'm not sure whether I'm clear in English, but I hope that you understand what I mean. So what is your message then to the Cook Islands? Yes, we discuss and of course uh, we see that the positions are very strong uh, uh, in Cook Islands, in Tonga, for example, in Nauru, and maybe less strong but still uh, clear in the Fijis, if I remember well. And of course, as the PIF leaders say, uh, sovereignty is sovereignty and they do whatever they want in their easy but what what we argue is that the ocean is even more sensitive in terms uh, in terms of uh, borders because there are no borders in the ocean so if you destroy the environment somewhere it has some effects in the whole of the ocean and also if you have a uh, plastic pollution somewhere it will end up if you have it in the in the Atlantic Ocean, at some point, it ends up in the in the bellies of the poor fishes in 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 the Pacific Ocean because everything is is circulating very much. So, of course, deep sea mining is the right for the time being in the law is the right of everyone. But we advocate for sharing of experiences and science and exploration, and this is actually what the PIF leaders agreed on that they would continue to explore and then come back to the issue. As France is such a staunch advocate for the environment, does France support a phase out or a phase down of fossil fuels? Uh, France is engaged, yes, in this, uh, absolutely. And you know that we are a, a nuclear, civilian nuclear power and uh, we... We advocate, yes, a phase down on, on fossil fuels. Why a phase down, not a phase out? Uh, the, well, this is this is a, b- a big, you know, negotiation uh, with the whole uh, French uh, system because there are still, there is still uh, lots of uh, infrastructures which rely on on fuel, and we have to phase down little by little. And you met with yeah. the new French. Polynesia leader Muay Thai Brotherson, who is pro-independence. Was mm-hmm. it your first meeting with him? Yes, it was my first meeting. And I'm planning, of course, my post is a regional one. And I'm planning to travel to the French territories, but also to everywhere in the South Pacific. But yes, it was my first meeting with him. How did it go? What was discussed? Well, it, it went very well. We discussed the, the you know, some... Um, the issues that we have uh, for the next uh, uh, three months. So we have, uh, we discussed the PIF, the priorities, our respective priorities in the PIF. We discussed um, our cooperation for the next three months. We discussed the next um, SPDMM in uh, Noumea. And we discussed the... um, um, how do you call UNOC conference because we really want to rely on the peace and on our territories to have uh, the, the input of the Pacific, uh, the, the peace leaders for the UNOC conference in 2025. And we also discussed a little bit um, this uh, so called Indo strategic, uh, Indo Pacific strategy. We know that lots of uh, uh, Pacific countries do not understand this concept and they prefer to have a focus on the Pacific, which we understand. 
at the same time, what we explained is that those strategies were adopted not really because uh, of uh, strategic uh, terms and, and new ways of thinking, but just because we needed to have a focus, positive focus, that is, which started like 25 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, and to have some... Um, some you know budgetary uh, uh, lines. So, for example, this is it's because, and it's thanks to our Indo-Pacific strategy that we have managed to obtain uh, an augmentation of our uh, contribution to uh, human humanitarian assistance and uh, disaster relief, both at the French and the European Union level. Uh, it is thanks to this Indo-Pacific. Uh, uh, strategy, the French one and the European Union one, that we managed to uh, increase by five our development aid in the Pacific. So it's mostly an instrument. And I mentioned that uh, to him, to President uh, Brotherson, so that he they understand that it's, uh, this Indo-Strategic Pacific, uh, Indo-Pacific strategy is not um, anything hostile but really uh, something to to be able to mobilize funds to work uh, more uh, operationally in the region. So was he wanting or calling for it to be more Pacific-focused instead of extending to the Indo-Pacific region? No, he, he, was, he was really listening uh, uh, to everything. And, and uh, I mean, my understanding of the meeting was that he was happy to to have a new uh, interlocutor in the region uh, the pacific ambassador and to devise strategies together that's the thing and that's really the aim of uh, of my appointment here is to do things together and in the theme of doing things together did you discuss independence how do you see independence playing out Independence is not my job. It's not my job. This is the Ministry of Interior. It's the business. My job is really foreign. Uh, it's uh, external relations, and because uh, each of those territories have uh, uh, shared competencies with the French state on external relations, the aim is really to mutually reinforce uh, each other and to use uh, each other for the benefit of uh, of all. Pacifica actors dominate the big screen in Taika Waititi's latest film, Next Goal Wins. The movie is based on the true story of American Samoa's football team and their journey to the 2011 FIFA World Cup qualifiers. Once dubbed the worst soccer team in the world, following an infamous 31-0 loss to Australia in 2001, the team aspired to score at least one goal in the 2011 qualifiers. A private premiere was held last night at the New Market Event Cinemas in Auckland. Tiana Haxton went along. The cinema was packed as eager moviegoers lined up for the first viewing of Next Goal Wins here in Aotearoa. Mingling with the crowd were three of the stars, Oscar Keitley, David Fani and Semu Filippo. Kitely plays the role of Tavita, the beloved president of the American Samoa football team. He is proud to see the film finally reach the big screen. 
I'm feeling relieved and glad that it's just coming out. You know, we shot it in the before times, before the world went crazy with COVID. There was a lot of times where I wondered whether it would come out, and it has four years later. Um, so I'm just excited and relieved. And this is Hollywood level, you know, and this is Taika. Portraying demoted local coach Ace is David Fani. He was moved by the support of the Pacific Islands community in attendance at the premiere. Fani says the community has a strong inbuilt love and respect for each other. If one does well, we all do well. We're a small portion of, of, of anywhere in the world. And yet here we are, all of us, cheering on the fact that you have all this brownness on on film. And that, that's the most amazing thing, you know? And you don't have to be Samoan to be proud, but you do have to be Pacific Islander to know how important this is. The people matter. Islanders matter. Our stories matter. Speaking about director Taika Waititi, Fami says that he is changing the narrative for brown stories, paving the way for how Pacific Islanders are represented in film. You know, Taika, he's a mate, but he also is a person that just wants to change how we perceive this part of the world. It's simple. And, and he said, day by day, we can do it. Semu Filippo is grateful for the opportunity to act alongside some big Pacifica names. He plays a local cop-turned-soccer player, recruited just a few weeks before the team heads to the World Cup qualifiers. Filippo shared how proud he is as a Pacific Islander to have been casted in next goal wins. Oh, as, as, a, as a Polynesian practitioner in, in this field, um, I'm just overwhelmed to be able to, uh, to tell our stories and being given the opportunity by Taika and the team, I'm, I'm quite honoured and privileged uh, to be on this side of it or to and, uh, working with Dave and, and Oscar to, to tell our stories uh, because our stories are amazing and there's not many of us, there's not many of us in this world and I think there's something that we can actually work on in regards to our stories to be told by our people. The film will grace New Zealand cinemas in two weeks' time on the 7th of December. Filippo is encouraging the Pacific Islands community to watch the film and enjoy the wholesome story. I'm just real happy that uh, a lot of people get to see this, and especially our, our people, our people. Our Polynesian people, I hope you love this one because this one's for you. Um, yeah, love you all. While the American Samoa team did not qualify for the 2011 World Cup, the film scored goals of its own on Aotearoa soil. There were three packed cinemas full of laughter on premiere night, combating the initial harsh reviews from American movie critics. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, Tofa Sui Fua.